Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you feeling today? Not so uh, getting better, but you know, uh, I didn't want to bother anybody with it. Now it's towards the ends of it, so I've had the COVID. Me and my family went right through the family here. Uh, I've been in the basement. Uh, you know, quarantine for the last uh, almost nine days now, 10 days. I think this is the 10th day. But um, last week when I did the show, you know, I, I didn't feel too good. And I knew that I had the COVID, but I didn't want to say anything because, you know, I'm going to do the show. I'm going to do the show. Um, no sense in saying anything. People have their own problems out there. I didn't want to make people, we have a lot of, good caring fans too. And I didn't want to make them in any way worry anything about anything outside of what they should be worrying about, um, which is their own situations, their own families. And um, so I, I, I didn't want to put any sort of, you know, extra, like I said, thoughts that aren't uh, positive ones onto anybody else. So, I, um, I'm through the worst of it. My family, I was, my biggest concern was the, the pressure of my family. My, I have my two grandchildren, my wife, my, my, uh, daughter and my, um, son-in-law living with us. Every, everybody, uh, my daughter got it. My wife got it. Uh, I mean, like I said, it went through the house, but everybody's good. Thank God. The, the main thing is that. I'm just very thankful that everybody got through it. Uh, I I seem to catch it a little bit worse because uh, that's just the way it works. Sometimes, you know, I think I think the it works a little more on the males, maybe, and especially if you're a little older, obviously. So, um, but the main thing was the chills and the aches and pains. The first few days was was a little, you know, it was what it was, but um. And then the congestion and the mucus in the chest, <coughs> that's, that's towards the end now, just about finished. Um, you know, and again, I, I, I took a Z-pack, took the stuff I'm supposed to take, quarantine, fluids, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, um, all that stuff. And I'm at the end. And I'm just, like I said, I, the, my biggest fear was my family. But... The children are resilient, they're good, they bounced right through it. Uh, like it wasn't even there almost. <coughs> and um, my daughter is a beast. Uh, she reminds me of these UFC fighters. She's just, she's a beast. She's a lawyer, she's working full time and at home, from home and taking care of two kids. And um, it was taking care of me and my wife when we were, you know, my wife was up in her bedroom, locked in. I was locked in a basement. And she's taking care of us and not even slowing down. So really, you're lucky when you have family, you know, and we're blessed that everybody's okay. So I'm just thankful. I figure I should be honest about it now at the end of it uh, when there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to worry about. So, um, and I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to miss doing a show because 
if you can do it, you do it because you want to keep your commitment. And you, you know, and part of keeping your commitment is whether you feel good or you don't feel great. And we appreciate the fans so much that we don't want to let them down in any way. And um, I just hope I haven't let them down and being a little bit compromised. Hopefully I gave them the show that, you know, that was supposed to give them and they expect to be given. But um, I always have Ken to carry me if I don't. So uh, I always knew I had that working for me. Um, and that's it. Let's go. Well, good. Uh, yeah, we didn't want to say anything to the fans, obviously, but uh, we appreciate you uh, playing through and showing up, whether uh, through thick and thin. So, um, but we've got a ton of action to cover from this weekend. Awesome events. Uh, let's start with AJ, Anthony Joshua versus the Kiss and Bandit, Kubrat Pulev. AJ looked exactly like you would expect the unified heavyweight champion to look. He looked sharp at times. If, you know, if there was any criticism, it was maybe, I, I, I think we both probably hoped he got him out of there a little, little sooner than he did. But at the end of the day, he did everything he was supposed to do. He beat him up. I mean, at one point, he had him turning his back, Kubra Pulev cowering in the corner, covering up just on Queer Street for a lot of the fight. And I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Did you think it was more that AJ looked the way we wanted him to look, or is Pulev just over the hill and just done as a fighter, um, or or a combination of both? Because I could see making an argument for, for for either case, but at the end of the day, regardless of the opponent, Joshua did what we wanted him to do and what we expected him to do, basically cementing his his place, in my opinion, as the face of boxing. He's the biggest draw. A lot of people, when I put that on Twitter, disagreed and said, um, Fury's the king, blah, blah, blah. Regardless of who's the better fighter, up for debate, Anthony Joshua is the biggest draw in boxing. He sells more pay-per-views. He's the face of the sport. I don't, it, it, that's my opinion. Curious to hear your thoughts on uh, the fight and, and Joshua's place in the sport. Joshua has a country behind him. I mean, Canelo does too, Mexico. But, um, you know, it's a big part of it. Uh, Joshua is a heavyweight. You know, the heavyweights have always been the face of boxing through the history of the sport. The, so that's uh, – I would tend to lean towards you. Uh, One other quick thing, Teddy. He has, I would argue he has two countries. He's Nigerian, lives in the U.K., and we've seen what he did – in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I think the Saudis allegedly paid something in the neighborhood of $50 million site fee to get that uh, uh, Ruiz fight two into Saudi Arabia. I hear what you're saying about Canelo, but outside of Mexico and the Mexican-Americans, I mean, obviously he has a, some global appeal, but I don't even think he's in the stratosphere of Joshua when you're talking global appeal. And the same for Fury. Yeah, I mean, Fury has a big appeal too. I mean, listen, uh, heavyweight division is the one that drives the sport, always has. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have these great fighters and these great ambassadors and these great uh, pay-per-view stars that come along in the other divisions. And sometimes they have to carry the weight for a while when the heavyweight was in the doldrums, which it has been. Uh, and different times in the sport. But there's no live audience right now. So right now, you know, that 
that takes away a little bit of uh, of the power of of Joshua once the live audience is back in and him and Fury will undoubtedly be the kings because that fight, uh, there's nothing that will match that fight as far as the amount of people that will show up in one arena uh, in Wembley or wherever they put it, probably in Wembley over there across the pond. So as far as the fight, Joshua's not the same. He's he's Humpty Dumpty that did get broken in, into a million pieces, but he did get put back together. And to his credit, he came back together. And please, the fans over there, you know, feel what you feel. But I'm not knocking him at all. I'm really not. I'm I'm giving him credit. He came back after being um, devastated in that first fight with Ruiz, and he gave up. He spit the bid. Um, I think the big difference with him now and then is he wants to be great again. He wants to be better again. At that moment, that sliver time, we live in moments, Ken. At that moment, that moment when Saturn lined up with Venus and Jupiter and, and all the other stuff with the planets and the life of Joshua and whatever it was at that moment, he didn't care about being the greatest fighter, the greatest heavyweight at that moment in the first fight with Ruiz. For whatever reason, I'm not going to attempt to explore the reasons. I'm just giving you what was apparent from his action, his behavior, when he allowed the referee to stop the fight, when the referee asked him if he wanted to continue. So I don't think there's any debating that. Um, but now he cares. That's the biggest difference. He cares about being that guy again. And, but there are remnants of that. There are addicts in our, you know, our mind is the addict. And there are ghosts that are still floating around in that attic of Joshua. Those ghosts of the first Ruiz fight. And they floated back and forth. They're not gone. Um, he's done a hell of a job of closing the windows. He he has a hell of a job. But, you know, ghosts can get in between the cracks. And they're still in there. Uh, he's lucky he had, and again, I'm here to point out the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, hopefully, from my viewpoint. And Everything that goes with it, comfortable or not comfortable. And he, and that, he's lucky he had Pulev. Pulev's not that much. Pulev is 39 years old. Um, he showed a good shin when he wanted to uh, and hot. But he's, he's got no instincts at all. He doesn't react well to punches coming at him. It looks like he's had no teaching. I mean, he stands straight up. I mean, everything he threw, he threw a straight right and landed. He threw a left hook and landed. He threw a jab if he stretched it out and actually he being Joshua snapped it instead of pushing it, 
which showed some of his tentativeness early when he was pushing it. Then he started snapping it. And when he snapped it, he couldn't miss uh, Mr. Pulev. Pulev's like robotic. He, I mean, he, there's, like I said, there's no instinctual mannerisms to him. And yeah, he's a big guy, like I described in the analysis, the pre-fight analysis. But he's a guy who's been disappointing with all the amateur background and what top rank thought they had when they signed him up. He's, you know, he got knocked out six years or whatever it was ago by Klitschko in his first try. You know, a lot of guys got knocked out by Klitschko. But no development, no advancement, no improvement. Didn't fight anybody um, of any consequence. And so it's no shock what you got. You got the right guy to bring Joshua out um, on the stage again, only one fight removed from his comeback. You know, in case the ghost showed up, uh, Pulev would be the insurance factor that it never got, it never got really too scary. Because with ghosts, things can get scary. But it was more like Casper the Friendly Ghost <laughs> when it came to Pulev. And he's, again, he took some shots when he wanted to, but he was also gone in that early part when he turned his back. The, the referee, nobody would argue if he stopped the fight right there. 100%. You can't just turn your back and cower with your hands over your head. That looked like something you would see in a uh, rough and rowdy on Barstool Sports. Honestly, I was shocked. I've never seen, very rarely do you see top-level professionals turn their back and put their hands over their head like, please leave me alone. I, 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 what'd you think? He was lost. He didn't know what to do. He Listen, He offered very, very little resistance. Um, when he threw, he, he threw punches that were punches you could navigate through pretty easily. You could see coming. Um, but even with all that, you could still see the tentativeness in, in Joshua. You could still see it. You could sense it. You could feel it all night long. Um, where he hasn't gotten that full confidence back. Where he's not all there yet. Where he's not sure if he's all there. He's not, he wants to be there. That's the key. But he's not sure that he's all there. That he can trust himself. He can trust his chin. He can trust the things that he trusted before this all, before he fell off the wall like Humpty Dumpty. And again, I say it again. He's he's well. He's not fortunate. They they planned it that he would have. I know he was a mandatory, but these mandatories are jokes. They really are. I mean, it's more political than it is anything else. You know, mandatory. From look at the resume of the guys that that he fought to become a mandatory. Please, all right. I won't even go there. It's a waste of time. So he had the right guy in front of him. And to your question early on, Ken, it was the right question. It's a, it's a combination of both, where a lot of it didn't have to do with what Joshua could do or was doing. It had a lot to do with what Pulev couldn't do and wasn't doing. 
It really did. I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of it just had to do with the ineptitude of the inability of uh, of Pulev. What Joshua did, because when he had his tentative moments, he was able to get through them because of who he had in front of him. He was he was allowed those lapses. Well, he wouldn't be allowed those lapses with somebody else. So that's the thing you have to figure in. Right now, I'm 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 gonna I'm not gonna hold the brakes. I'm gonna jump right right now. Fury, I think, destroys him right now. Okay, a lot of people ain't gonna like to hear that. I, I, I get it. But I'm looking at the whole enchilada here, guys. I'm not just looking at when he looked good. And I, I'm looking at the engine. I'm looking at the carburetor. You know, I'm not just looking at the brakes and, the, you know, the accelerator and, you know, and those parts of it. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking right in the, the gizzards, which is here. And he ain't there yet. And Fury would sense that, I believe, and put it on him. And if he did put him on him, those moments where he looked frail again, even with Pulev where he grabbed and when he wasn't sure and when he was tentative waiting in front, he would get tested in those moments. I don't know if he's ready for that test yet. My, my inclination is he's not. Maybe one more fight, maybe, maybe. But right now the edge is Fury. And what he did show me was he's improved Fury. Joshua off of the second Ruiz fight where he was trying to be Muhammad Ali and just move all over the place and look very fragile in the moments when Ruiz at 283 pounds even threatened like he was going to do something. He looked like, oh, my God, oh, my God, uh, uh, you know, am I going to be okay? And he was better. He was much better than that guy. Matter of fact, he made another transition towards being better. He settled down again. He became more that guy was set to punch again. He wasn't, you know, on his wheels all night, on his tricycle all night. He settled down. So he's becoming more of that guy again. Um, and he wants to be more of that guy again. It takes time, if it ever happens, to come all the way back. There were moments when he wasn't thrown with bad intentions. He was almost pulling his punches. Yeah, there were moments. And that told me what I needed to know that the ghosts were, they were ganging up on him a little bit in those spots. But he fought through it. There were moments when he was very tentative, waiting. And again, those moments were best served by not what he did, but by what Pulev couldn't do. And he was, he was helped by that. And anything else less than what I'm saying, I just don't think you're being honest. Or you just don't know enough to, to want to see those things because you're a fan or because not everyone's capable of seeing those things. I can't see everything in football that Bill Belichick can see. I can't. I can't. It's not that I don't want to. 
but I'm not trained to see those things. So that's, that's always going to be a part of it. I'm not saying I'm better or bragging. I'm just saying that, hey, I'm supposed to be able to see those things better. I've been in the business 45 years. I've trained fighters for a living. I'd better be able to see those things better. Otherwise, what the hell am I doing? My <laughs> customer would have told me, go sell Italian ices on the corner. You know, if you don't know what you're supposed to know by now. So I, I, I saw him again, physically settling down, wanting to take control, took a couple rounds for him to do that. Uh, it, it's getting, it's a work in progress at uh, right now. Those scars don't just go away. They take time to heal. You know that old saying, the emotional scars, the scars you don't see, they take the longest to heal. It's true. It's true. And so I, I like what I saw. I saw a step in the right direction. Um, but I was always cognizant of what still wasn't there, where he still had to catch up, and where he was very fortunate to have who he had in front of him. And, uh, and I tweeted such during the fight. And, and our analysis, you know, pre-fight analysis was good. You know, I said he's going to win a decision or he'll knock him out late. But I didn't think much of Pulev, obviously. I just said he was just a big guy who's been disappointing um, for what people thought he could become. And now he was 39. And it was a matter of Joshua, which version of Joshua would would show up? Would it be still the guy moving all over the place or the guy starting to, you know, settle down more and feel that he could be that guy again uh, a little bit more, but at the same time, maybe with a little bit more respect towards other elements of the game. And I'll finish by this. For the, for the not knocking anyone, but for the people during the broadcast that was saying, they were in love with his patience. I would just replace that word with trepidation. That wasn't patience. I know patience when I see it. <laughs> I know. You have patience with me. That's patience. <laughs> That's patience. <laughs> the fans have patience with me. My family has patience with me. That's patience. That was, that was trepidation. That was lack of confidence. That was not being sure. That was hesitation. That's what that was. So that's all, Ken, for me. I hope that the fans, and, and, and I know it certainly is the case for me, appreciate how thorough that uh, evaluation is because you hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly, if you're looking at this from an unbiased perspective, that's exactly what happened. It doesn't mean that he can't continue to progress and potentially beat Fury, but I agree with everything you've said. Everyone who commented on my 
tweet about AJ being the king in the face of the sport was Fury's going to kill him. I'm not talking about who's going to win. I'm talking about he's the draw. He's the A-side, whether you like it or not. And Fury, like you said, probably wins. But I'm convinced that in time, we're going to find out that something happened to him before that Ruiz fight. I, I have no bias. I don't care. I have no preference for any of the heavyweights, and I know you don't either. We don't have favorites. I mean, there's guys that we like as individuals, but when it comes to fighting, we try to just give our opinions on what happened. AJ, I'm convinced something was wrong with him at the age at that Ruiz fight. Rob and I were there in person. He was leaning on the ropes in a weird way. It looked like he was. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. It looked like he was drugged on another planet. And as soon as AJ, as soon as Ruiz started touching him, it was like we were seeing a completely different person. Nevertheless, maybe he just made too much money. That could can be. be a disease. That can be a disease too. Also, first fight out of the UK of uh, you know in Madison Square Garden. I don't know what had anything to do with it, but he didn't look himself. I want to add one thing, Ken. Yeah, yeah. One of the residual effects of this whole experience if he gets himself back that will be a benefit to mr joshua when this is all done and i can see it already this is versatility he he will now have the ability to either sit and be that power puncher that that guy that could counter that could lead use that great jab, he's got a good jab, um, to set up offense, or he can move a little bit. He can move like he did in the second fight with Ruiz, or a combination of two, but he's got dimensions to him he didn't have before. That's good. Yeah. That's good. But you have to be, the cement has to come in now and hold those things in place and know what it is that is you. What is your identity? A little combination, but what is your identity? Yeah, you have to, that's cement. And that cement is the confidence. Has to come back in, pour back in over the cracks and hold you solid for what you need to be. But that's the advantage of what makes it even more compelling, the matchup that's going to come with Fury and Joshua, because... Fury has those dimensions too. He showed throughout his career he could box. And that's all we thought he had. Big guy that was nimble on his feet and was elusive and unusual for a big guy. And then all of a sudden we saw him go take apart Wilder by being a seek and destroy guy. Yeah, very good point. Using his, his bulk in a different way. His hulk in a different way. So he now shows us, which we hadn't known up to that point, he's two-dimensional, multi-dimensional, and so is Joshua. That, that's interesting. That, they both have an option, and that makes it interesting for me to pre-analyze the fight because what will Fury be? What will he choose to be? He chose to be that aggressive guy. He was a genius. And knowing for whatever reason that he thought there was a weakness in the makeup mentally of Wilder, being a bully, being a puncher, that if he backed him up, he would have him. He would control him. He would defeat him. And he did. 
He was right. And which will he choose <coughs> against Joshua? Right now, if I was his consigliere, I would say you choose, if you fought him tomorrow, you choose to be aggressive. You choose to be aggressive. But by the time the fight happens, what will the choice? That's interesting. That's very, and I'll finish it by saying the man left standing without a chair right now is Wilder. Yep. Because he's not as big a draw as these guys, like it or not. He's a huge puncher. That hasn't changed. And he's one-dimensional. He is one-dimensional. He hasn't shown that he has any other dimension other than loading up and bang, landing that right hand. He hasn't shown anything other than that. Anything. So, right now, he's a man standing on the outside with no chair. I think what's interesting now, though, like you said, is in terms of next for Joshua, there is that level of tentativeness that we saw that there's not a lot of, I mean, aside from fighting another opponent, which I don't think the fans really want to see, not that they ever do, but... I was talking to one of the execs who's a friend of mine and a neighbor at the zone and and we were talking about this and I said this is the time to make the fury the fury Joshua fight. I mean if you put them both in there again you just never heavyweights you just never know. We saw it with Ruiz. Now the, it, we seem to be at a fever pitch. Put them in there. Let's do it. The only other option would be Wilder. And if I'm Joshua, Wilder is such a, a wild card. I mean if he lands a punch it's over I, for I Joshua. I wouldn't go near. I wouldn't go near. The, the brain tank of Joshua, who's making those decisions, I'm sure they, they know this already. I yeah. don't, they don't need my advice. I wouldn't go anywhere near Wilder right now. First of all, he's not the biggest money fight at all. Yeah. That's number one. And, but he's still a dangerous, dangerous, especially with your guy in the state that he's still in, in a state of flux that I just spent time explaining, I hope. I wouldn't go near the guy. And um, we'll see. They have a lawsuit. Uh, they go to court. They being Wilder's people. Um, but they have, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, they, I mean, they, they, had, they had the contract to fight him next, but it was supposed to happen before the year ended. Yep. And uh, the year's going to end. So, yeah, I I put my money on that fight not happening because no matter what they're trying to threaten in court, um, at the end of the day, like Don King said, uh, contracts don't get in the ring and fight. Yeah, and I think if they want, if they really wanted the fight, they would have aggressively made it. I, I think that that's all posturing at this point. But look, we could do a, an entire show on the state of the heavyweight division. I don't want to. Uh, I want to be sensitive to your time, and um, let's keep it moving now. Let's preview a couple fights coming up, but uh, then eventually we're going to get into this. Um, incredible incredible event again on the ufc this weekend but before we get into that for our friends at my bookie check them out at mybookie.ag use the promo code atlas for a hundred percent credit on your first deposit up to a thousand dollars let's talk about triple g against camille zermeda 
coming up this weekend. They're on. He's on Friday night. We got Canelo on Saturday night. But first, Triple G, a huge, huge prohibitive favorite, minus three thousand against Zermeda. Zermeda, undefeated Polish prospect. Um, Triple G, if there was a line, would be like I said, minus three thousand. Um, Zermeda, like I said, twenty twenty one. I think twenty one and oh. Let me just confirm. But he's only got. I want to say five knockouts in his 21 wins I don't think he's a threat to knock out Triple G who seems to be a, have a chin made out of uh, granite um, what are you looking for in this one I would imagine you want to see Triple G just get him out of there in a hurry um, what do you think I think it all comes down same thing as Joshua and Pulev if you really know the contestants if you really know the players it really the, not what you hope to know but what you do know because um, everyone hopes that it's going to be the next Phil in Manila in every fight. But you have to be more sober than that and look at tangible things. Uh, and like I said with Joshua and Pulev, it always came down to what Joshua was going to do because Pulev was there really to accommodate Joshua. I know he was a mandatory and all that stuff, but um, believe me, if he was a threat, they would have found a way around that mandatory. They, it all came down to what Joshua was going was gonna to be at this point coming off of, you know, the year layoff and only one fight removed from getting his title back after he got destroyed by Ruiz in the first fight. So it wasn't about Pulev. It was about Joshua. Because Pulev, if you knew what you were supposed to know, he was, he was the mark. He was the mark. Um, Semenya is the mark. Um, it comes down to Triple G, what does he have left? He, he's not the same whole fighter. He's, he's not. That he was in those Canelo fights. They took a lot out of him. And Father Time has taken a lot out of him. He had 400 amateur fights, silver medalists from the Olympics. He had a tough time winning um, his last fight um, with... Uh, You're talking about against Derevianchenko. He had a tough time in that fight. Very tough. He was a tough, tough, busy guy in Derevchenko. Very tough, busy guy. A lot of people thought Derevchenko won. Um, Triple G has always showed tremendous heart. But he also shown that, for me, that something was wrong that night. He was sick. Or he shot one. I think he shot one. I don't think there's any getting around it. I know that the fans out there will like to hear that. Maybe the year off now has rejuvenated him. It happens. It happens. Look at Holyfield. He got rejuvenated. Everybody thought he was shot going into the Tyson fight. The one thing, Teddy, the one thing that I'll add about Triple G is I, I feel like he's almost been in camp or in heavy-duty training with our friend Chris Camacho for a, for a year. I mean, they've been up in Big Bear. Camacho's been living in Big Bear with him, with Jonathan Banks, for 
months and months and months. And one of the things he mentioned after the fight and that other people that were critical of his performance against Derevianchenko was that maybe he was spending too much time at altitude and that that was what was hurting him and um, depleting him. But from what I've heard from uh, Camacho, he looks as better than ever if top fitness, top in top conditioning, which is what you would expect from the trainer. But Camacho is a good tra- good strength and conditioning man. So that's just an interesting side note, side note there that he has been in tough, tough training for several, several months, if not a full year. Never gets out of shape. Yeah, and sometimes that could be a detriment because yes. you can overtrain. You can leave yep. it in the gym. Um, but Camacho knows what he's doing. So, and, and his people around him, Jonathan Banks definitely knows what he's doing too. So, um, I'm sure they would take account of that and they would take measurements to give him a week off here and there, give him some time off here and there. I'm sure that they would do that. And they've done that probably, uh, being experienced as they are. But I'm just talking about the father time. I'm just talking about 400 amateur fights. I'm just talking about all the pro fights, all the punches, you know, that it, it has a toll. And I think that it's, it has impacted him. Uh, to what degree? I don't think we're going to find out in the Zemeta fight. I think that's why Zemeta's there, to make sure we don't find out yet. Uh, if we're going to find out, we're going to find out in a, in a, whether it's another, whether it's the trilogy with Canelo, or, you know, some other fight that presents itself as a super fight. I don't know what that would be right now. But other than Canelo. Uh, but I do think that he's, he's a guy that, it'd be hard to argue, is not in the twilight of his career with one foot in the shadows of his career. And that's the only interesting thing to me in this fight is to see what he is now. Um, because if he's anything other than an empty shell, if he's anything at all, 70%, 75%, you know, 80% of Triple G is going to destroy Zemeta. Zemeta is a guy who can't break an egg, and he's a game guy. Uh, he's got the look, you know, he's aggressive, he's moving his head, he's bending, he's coming forward, he's probably going to bend into an uppercut. Um, he's, he's looking to come forward all the time. You know, he fights like a puncher who's not a puncher. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. And he's going to get caught coming in. He pulls straight back with his left down. He gets hit with right hands. Uh, I think he can get caught coming in with left hooks and, and time coming in because he is so, uh, he is so dependably aggressive. Uh, I think he makes his head movements from too far away where you can time him as he makes those head movements uh, coming in at times. And I I think it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like skeet shooting uh, to a certain extent for, for Mr. Triple G. Uh, I, again, it's, it, it comes down to what does Triple G have left? It purely comes down to that for me. Um, and if he's got anything left, he's supposed to stop some matter in four rounds. Uh, I'll say four rounds, four or five rounds. Uh, catch him coming in. Uh, he's always in front of you, as I said. Triple G just should have too much power, too much experience, 
uh, and too much desire at this point to want to get a knockout. Uh, the only thing that can stop him, I think, is Father Time. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if Father Time uh, is at that point yet in his life where he's got complete command over this fight. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's exactly what I would have described as Triple G gets him out of there in a hurry. Um, anyway, next night we've got Canelo Alvarez versus Callum Smith. Canelo, <laughs> it's crazy, his record for his age. 53-1 and with 36 knockouts against Callum Smith, who's the current um, super middleweight champ of the WBA. WBA, he's also got the Ring Magazine belt. He is 27-0 and with 19 knockouts. This is an entertaining fight, a good matchup at super middle. Um, good test uh, for Canelo. I think I, my own personal opinion is he gets him out of there, but I think it's a, an incredible test and an incredible payday, I'm sure, for Callum Smith. Um, again, check out my bookie. Use the promo code ATLASMYBOOKIE.AG for a thousand for a hundred percent credit on your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. We got Callum Smith Teddy plus four seventy five minus seven hundred on Canelo. Is Callum Smith at plus seventy five enough for you to give him a chance to beat Canelo? I don't think plus um, one hundred million um, would be enough. <laughs> to give him a chance to take a decision against right now um, the biggest pay-per-view fighter in a business or uh, argumentatively it could be Joshua uh, when it comes down to when that fight is, the big fight is made. But I mean, definitely one of the most, definitely the golden goose for years in boxing has been Canelo. And to to slaughter that golden goose, um, I, it's going to, with, with the judges in cooperation with it, it's going to take, uh, it's going to take quite a bit. It's going to take quite a bit, uh, you know, for that to happen because the powers that be will make sure that Canelo does not lose a decision uh, as long as he's still standing or being helped to stand maybe uh but that doesn't mean that he can't legitimately lose the fight and and it could be controversial we could fight about it we could argue about it we've seen that before we could say it was a terrible robbery we've seen that before um we could say all those things uh you know and it surely doesn't mean it can't be a competitive fight um, and a fight that, yeah, you can lay some of your money down getting a good, getting a good um, bang for your buck and take a shot and feel that you're, feel that you're warranted in, in taking that shot. Yes, I would say, yeah, you can do that. Why? Uh, outside of what I just described as, you know, the powers that be in boxing, uh, most likely not allowing the golden goose to go, cooked um, in a decision, but for him to have a chance to win the fight, yes, uh, legitimately, yes. Why? Well, he's young, he's undefeated, he hasn't learned how to lose yet, he's got a world title, super middleweight, he's a bigger guy, he's a naturally bigger guy than Canelo, and 
He's hungry, but he's got good assets. He's a big guy who can punch. Uh, he's got good reach. He's six foot two, I think, uh, maybe a little more. Uh, he's got good height. Uh, 6'3". 6'3". He's got good range. He's got a good jab. He's got a nice straight sneaky right hand. Beautiful counter left hook. Really nice counter left hook. Made me think a little bit of uh, Ryan Garcia with his great counter hook uh, as a lightweight. But this guy's a super middleweight. Nice counter left hook. Uh, fundamentally solid. He... He's he stands straight up, looks pretty. Maybe that's not good, but but he he looks like the old European, not European, but the old English fighters that stood straight up and were were very traditional. He stands straight up, but he covers up really well. Doesn't leave any windows open. No leaks uh, in his in his guard. He's he's almost in a peekaboo type. Really tucked up, pretty good. Um, I would say very good actually. The, the fault failing I see is he doesn't move his head much. Um, that he does rely mostly on blocking and control range. Does a good job of control range. Also shows a capacity to fight inside when he has to. So he is taught well. He is technically really solid. One thing worth noting, you just said he was, uh, he, as we said, he's 6'3". Canelo's only 5'8". 7-inch height difference well he's gonna have to use that height to to you know to kind of keep canelo at the end of his punches and make canelo pay a price to make real estate in this fight to get close to him the other thing i wanted to point out as you said a uh, slim chance that callum smith would ever get a decision unless they like maybe knock them down in every single round worth noting canelo alvarez never been down the only time he was really looked like he was in serious trouble and he bounced right back from it. But of course, he was probably like 13 years old at the time. In 2010, Miguel Cotto had him hurt very badly. But I mean, Canelo shook it off and still won the fight. I mean, when I say hit, hurt badly, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if you remember it. The ropes kept him up. And then after the ropes kept him up, Cotto hit him with probably three or four bombs right after it. And Canelo eventually shook it off and got the win. But well, Canelo's got a tremendous chin. And hot. There's no two ways about it. And um, and he's improved as a fighter, which is uh, a compliment to his trainer. He's improved. Some that Triple G didn't do. Maybe Banks will, even at a late stage, it's difficult to teach an old trip dog new tricks. But maybe Banks can do something. But um, his trainer for all those years did not do that with him, with. Triple G. That's where Canelo had a little edge. Even though I thought Triple G won those two fights, I'll say it again uh, with Canelo. But uh, I saw Canelo continue to get better, uh, where uh, Triple G just continued to rely on being strong, tough, good puncher, and, you know, experienced uh, and big heart, but never got better. Never, never improved in the areas that, as a trainer, I want to see fighters improve. And, um, you're supposed to see them improve, but right now, as far as as far as um, Canelo, he again, I, I think that the early rounds are going to be a problem finding the key to the door um, with that solving the distance issue, uh, the range issue with with uh, Callum Smith. Yeah, Callum Smith. Um, I, I think that right now. 
it'll take him some rounds to figure that out, to use his jab. I'm sure his trainer tell him that, even though he's a taller guy, bigger guy, you got to do a Tyson on him to a certain extent. When Tyson was Tyson, take his jab away where you slip and you, you're able to still out jab him. Uh, don't let him dictate control range with the jab. Uh, use your jab to make sure that doesn't happen. Look to counter right hands over his jab um, in, in spots. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember now. Uh, but there's a couple ways to take a guy's jab away. One is with yours. One is with the right hand counter. If he's orthodox. Uh, to make him tentative about photos, Jeff, so you count him with right hands. Uh, but it will take some rounds, I believe, for Canelo to solve the puzzle. Uh, it will be an interesting fight, a very interesting fight. Again, Smith's got youth. He's got the reach. He's got the height. He's got a good straight right hand. He's got a good left hook counter. Uh, he knows how to go inside if he has to, but he likes to control range. Uh, he's got a, a good jab, which will be an asset towards controlling that range. Uh, he's he's naturally the bigger guy. The one thing that hurts him is, as I touched earlier, he doesn't move his head a lot. But I think that will give an opportunity for the X factor. And the X factor for me in this fight will be Canelo finding a spot for his Sunday punch, the left hook to the liver, where Smith, somewhere along the line, will give him that landing strip. You know, if you have a plane, you need a landing strip to, to, to land it. And if you have a left hook, you need a landing strip. And I think he'll be on the search for that landing strip, Canelo, and he'll use his experience and his aggression in a smart way. And finally, he'll find that landing strip when Colin Smith goes, does that peekaboo and he gives you the body a little bit, doesn't move, uh, and once he can do that and zero into that left hook to deliver that, to me that could be the turning point. I, I would look for that to be the turning point. The other thing is obviously that Smith's got, I, I mentioned all his positive attributes. The thing that works against him uh, is the same thing that works for him. He's young <laughs> and, and he's not experienced. Uh, you look at his resume, the best guy he's fought is George Groves, who I never thought a lot of. He was a European uh, champion over there, and uh, I don't know if he had a world title for a minute, but uh, George Groves was just a game serviceable guy. That was his probably best guy on the, on the resume, and, he, and George Groves was probably already shop one, already past his best. But again, George Groves, those, those type guys, to me, would never – anything great. They were just good, solid, serviceable guys. Um, but nothing real special as far as special ability or special level. And now he's going into a special ability, special level. He's never been in there with that level before. He's never been on that kind of stage before. Uh, that's that's going to be something to deal with uh, for Colin Smith. But again, I, I think it's an interesting fight. Yeah, Teddy, that's a good point that you make about Callum Smith and his level of opposition. He fought George Groves again, not a world beater. But I would argue he, he might have lost the fight against John Ryder his last time out. By contrast, 
So that's, that's, that's Smith's resume. By contrast, let's just take a quick look. I just want to read some of the names that, um, that uh, Canelo's been in with. Sergey Kovalev, Gennady Golovkin twice, um, Miguel Cotto, uh, Floyd Mayweather. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's fought everyone seemingly except Sugar Ray Robinson and um, has always looked good, has always been dependable. Um, so this one is very intriguing because, you know, let's see what uh, what Callum Smith has to offer. It's definitely the biggest test of his career and a big step up in weight for Canelo. I know he beat an aging, um, an aging Kovalev at, at um, light heavy, but this is a big guy, 6'3", you know, Awesome test. Either way, it's going to be super entertaining. Very excited to watch this one. Um, but before I let you go, and I know you're not feeling great, um, and we've got Rob today working remote from Mexico. So, uh, But I want to talk, touch quickly on the um, UFC card because the main event, again, in the UFC, per usual, never disappoints. I feel like almost every week we're talking about the UFC having a potential fight of the year. And I know it sounds a bit like hyperbole, but this one was just out of this world. I mean, Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo, I think um, Moreno, it was a draw, majority draw. Uh, a kick in the groin is what the difference was. Uh, Davison Figueredo, uh, accidental kick in the groin to Moreno, who, who, who at one point, I didn't even think he'd be able to continue. It couldn't have been more clean. It was basically a punt directly to the groin. Moreno, like a true champion, shook it off. At one point, maybe in the second or third, his eye got damaged. It looked, by all accounts, like he might have a broken orbital bone. In the in the fourth and fifth round, um, the commentators pointed out that something was wrong with Moreno's left arm. It looked like there was a bulging in his forearm, like his forearm might be broken. Every time Moreno threw the left hand, he'd grab with his right, grab his left wrist, and almost adjust his arm like he was putting it back together or something. After the fight, Moreno said it popped out of the socket early in the fight, so it was compromised. He kept throwing it, though. Um... He landed some bombs on Figueredo, who looked to be the better fighter, but Moreno was so tough. I mean, I, I said to you earlier, I'm convinced that if Figure that if Moreno's eyeball popped out, he would have just stuffed it back in his in his head with his hand. The level of toughness is just there is no there is no limit. These guys, it seems like they'd fight if their arm got ripped off. It was everything you'd expect a championship pay per view fight to be. Like I said, they got a draw. I couldn't, I, I, the very few times in history of fighting have I been happy with a draw. This was one of them because we get to see it all over again. Um, Figueredo, worth noting, had a very hard time making weight, was hospitalized the night before the fight. So he claimed at 2 a.m. the night of the fight, the night before the fight, he's in the hospital with GI issues, stomach issues, he's throwing up, you know, these weight cuts are, are intense. Both guys took the fight on relatively short notice. I can't imagine these two with a full camp, <clears throat> just awesome. And I know you had a chance to look to watch the fight, and I'm dying to hear your take. Boy, um, they never disappoint. That's what I thought. They don't know how. It's not in their DNA. Uh, I hope I hope Dana White has a lot of bonus money uh, saved up. You know. By the way, it's it's worth noting that Dana told Kevin Ioli this morning that 2020 was the biggest pay-per-view year in the history of the UFC. Well, yeah, I mean, they earned it. 
they put the right matches. They they just put competitive fights on, no matter what what they what they come up with. It's you always know it's going to be a fight worth watching, a fight that's competitive. Um, like I said, they don't let you down. Figueroa, uh, the champion, he he uh, uh, he was so aggressive. Uh, he was the aggressor early on, uh, quick, aggressive, looking for power shots. He was like one of those. Uh, they were both like one of those little gremlins. Uh, that movie, The Gremlins, but, but after you fed them after midnight, you're not supposed to feed those gremlins after midnight, Ken, because they become vicious and they're, they're really, they're dangerous. They are. And these were like two gremlins that got fed after midnight. Uh, Figarino just, just relentless pressure, um, looking to explode all the time. Uh, with big punches, uh, big power shots, and Marino for me looked like he was—he was a guy that might be a little bit more confident on the mat in spots where they both obviously have a comfort level, of whether it's striking or whether it's going to the mat. They're—they're they're well-rounded in all the MMA skills, but uh, it looked like Marino looked to. Uh, see if he could take it to the mat in spots, uh, and, and he did. Uh, but then it got to the point where, for the most part, they were striking, where Marino found himself or put himself in a position of counterpunching, which was a smart position with a guy that was so relentless. And Marino was doing the counterpunching, accurate, smart, educated. See, that I want to make sure to say that again, accurate, smart, educated, because – that's where it's not just two beasts. Um, we know the toughness. We know the level of uh, of resolve that these men have. But but the cleverness to the smart uh, mixed in there with them, where Marino was looking to land good body punches, trying to slow down uh, some of that, take away some of that steam uh, in Figueroa with that relentless approach. Uh, so I respected and admired that and saw that where Marino was looking to throw the proper punches to deter the aggression of Figueroa. And it was, it was just nonstop because mixed in with all of what I just described, which is enough to put under anyone's Christmas tree. Mixed in with that was combinations, um, hand speed. You know, uh, I thought in spot figure out uh, Marino's punches uh, were a little bit more well-placed um, and needed to be uh, than Figueroa's, who was the ultimate aggressor. But... I saw roles start to change. By the fifth round, I saw Marino, Marino suddenly was the aggressor. And Figueroa was the guy boxing on the outside looking for spots. I think part of it was maybe the weight cuts, uh, you know, the hard four rounds. 
and just the uh, you know the gas tank getting a little low uh, in there. But it was very telling to see the guy who wants to be the champion, who wants to be the aggressor throughout, suddenly have to sort of give way to a certain extent because these guys don't give way. To give way to a certain extent in the fifth round and give up that role a little bit, uh, it was telling. What was it telling of? It was telling what I just said. The gas tank getting a little dry, the weight cuts, obviously the the pressure that Figueroa, the 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 level that the engine was racing at, um, the amount of coal that was being burnt up to keep the engine racing at that level, uh, and it was also maybe the counter punching of Marino, the body shots, the the things that were designed to take a little steam out of that engine. Uh, I think that by seeing that little bit of a concession, again, maybe more of it was towards Figueroa having the harder weight cut. Both guys took the fight on short notice from what I understand, so that played into it, I'm sure. Uh, at the end of the day, a draw, a draw seemed, seemed to be fair. Um, I, I couldn't watch it the way I wanted to watch it, I, I had to go to sleep early last night. As I said, I wasn't feeling the best. I wanted to be the best I could for this show today. Uh, I watched it this morning on my phone. And I, whether I watched it on the phone or in a, in a cinema, uh, I appreciated what I saw. It was great drama. It was great, as always, uh, matchmaking, great theater. And just great, dedicated UFC fighters that uh, that refuse to give, uh, that are willing to go to places that very few people are willing to go uh, to find out what they need to find out, uh, you know, where they can go, how far they can go. And how high that mountain is. And when I say that mountain, I, I'm, I'm describing the mountain of us. How high is it? What are the highest peaks? What are the highest ridges? Where are they? And they're willing to find them. They're willing to find them when other people stop, when it gets cold, when the air gets thin, and they stop, and they, and they still feel they went far enough. There is no far enough. There is no far enough for these guys. And that, that never stops being appreciated by people like me and all the great fans out there, that they teach us. They teach us that there are no limits. There are no limits. The only limits are the limits that we allow to be put there. If we continue to move forward, we find new heights every day, every minute every moment and these guys do that and nobody does it better uh so that's merry christmas to the ufc people out there uh because once again your product was tremendous and um 
Take nothing away from boxing. Boxing product is as good as it gets when it's right. Uh, you guys just happen to get it right uh, quite often. And we're going to look to um, get Moreno on the show. I know him and his manager are big fans of yours, Teddy, and we're going to look to get him. One thing I wanted to ask you about uh, that I noticed during the fight <clears throat> that I actually really appreciated, or, uh, I forget what round it is, maybe, maybe the third, where Figueredo accidentally kicked Moreno directly in the groin. I mean, you couldn't have kicked him harder if you tried to do it on purpose. Nevertheless... Moreno took his time, got back in the fight, as you would expect from UFC. But one thing that I really appreciated was that the ref took a point because, as we've seen, a lot of times they'll give him a warning. But let's just, for argument's sake, say your man is getting beat up pretty good and he, as a strategy, hits him low as hard as he can, just takes the warning. I don't think that there should be a warning when the strike is that egregious, even if it's accidental, because that guy's now compromised whether you like it or not. If someone hit you in the groin and then said, okay, go out and do whatever it is, run, go run a race or play a football game, whatever, you're compromised. So there should be punishment for that, even if it's accidental, because the other guy doesn't have a choice anymore. I also like the fact that the ref... What, like, unlike what they usually do is rushing the guy to get back in there. The ref should just keep him abreast of, you've got five minutes, take the whole five minutes if you want. Because, I mean, I know the fans want the guy to get back into the fight, but, I mean, if you get kicked that hard in the groin, you need five minutes to get your bearings. And I just thought it was handled perfectly by the ref and by Moreno to take the time, get back in it. Unfortunately for Figueredo, that kick, that groin strike ended up being the difference in the fight. It's what gave us the majority draw. Just was curious before we sign off, your thoughts on that and, and those kind of strikes. Like, I think that the refs need to do, uh, I love the way this guy handled it, but I think when there's an accidental foul that's that detrimental, there shouldn't be a warning. It should be immediately like point deducted and, and, and steps taken. Because you could argue that that's a good strategy if you're losing to do an accidental on purpose strike. Well, it has been a strategy in fights sometimes. You know, accidentally on purpose, you hit a guy a little low and it's what you almost needed to do um, to slow the guy's momentum down a little bit. There was, and, and it sometimes works. Uh, you get away with it. And to your point, there should be, whether or not that's the intention or not the intention, whether it was purely accidental or it wasn't, it still has an effect, uh, a residual effect on the person that got hit. And because of that, uh, especially when you talk about something as severe as a kick, uh, I, I think that you make a good point. You know, you, you, you do want to see if it's egregious. You do want to uh, see whether or not you know, there is the argument that there should be a warning and all that stuff. But where the warning falls hollow is that the damage is still done, to your point. And you can't get back what you lose. You, you've lost some of your endurance. You've lost some of your rhythm. Um, you know, and depending on the severity, especially when you're talking about UFC, MMA, you're talking about a kick versus a punch. Uh, the damage can be, you know, it can last throughout the fight. And there should be some compensation. There should be some compensation um, for that loss. And that would 
find itself in uh, obviously in the making of a point. Um, the other guy loses some of his, like I said just a minute ago, loses some of his endurance, some of his physical ability um, to go at the pace he was going. Well, then you should lose something, you know, to compensate for that. So I think you make a, I think you make a very valid point. I think the referee at the end of the day, uh, I think he handled it right. Um, at the end of the day, I know a lot of fans, and rightfully so, you're going to, you, you're going to have different viewpoints on that because that did that did weigh in the in the scoring. It, it did weigh in the scoring. But then again, to to what Ken's saying, what weighed in the scoring of the fight was the low blow. You know, could have slowed down uh, Marino to the point where he could have had a you know he had, could have had the ability to have a better round. So. Uh, in, in the end of the day, I, I think that the referee did what was just, um, what made sense uh, in, in all the areas that, that make sense for the reasons we just talked about. And I think that the decision uh, found itself to be the right decision. It, uh, it was helped to be found by that. Um, you never wanted to be part of, you know, a point being taken away. But at the end of the day, I think it was the right decision. Yeah. So, um, well, we've got one more <clears throat> one more UFC card to go this year. And like we've already discussed, Triple G and um, and um, Canelo in action next week. And still uh, some good stuff to come for this year for the balance. I'd like to add one thing. I'd like to add one thing before we close. Of course. Um, I, f I didn't mention it last week. I was... I wasn't feeling the best, and I guess that I was looking. Uh, <laughs> maybe I was subconsciously looking to to bail out and get done as quick as we could. But uh, it wasn't a scintillating fight. It wasn't a great fight. I don't know that it was an important fight, but it was a fight, and uh, for our neighbors across the pond, I know that uh, it meant something. So I did have it marked down last week, where I forgot to mention. It was the uh, Billy Joe Sanders-Murray fight. And listen, it was a glorified spawn session. It would take me three minutes to cover it. But I just thought it was worth covering because we try to cover most of what's out there. And um, and again, for our, our great fans across the pond, uh, you guys have interest in that fight. Uh, Murray was a, was definitely a, a player at one point. He, he fought a good fight with Triple G. I think he got stopped in 11th, but he gave him a – he gave him a goal. Uh, he, he's fought for the title many times, Murray. This was his last goal round, but it was definitely too late uh, against the younger Billy Joe Sanders. Uh, it, it was, like I said, it was nothing more than a glorified spawn session. Uh, it was the kind of fight that I don't want to see uh, because Murray didn't belong in there anymore. Uh, he just can't pull the trigger anymore. He, he's, you know, he's... Like I say, chronologically, it's not how you judge the age of a fighter. It's by the amount of punches that they've taken. And Murray's at that point chronologically where he's old as a fighter and he shouldn't be in a ring. And I was just, he was basically a punching bag. And I, I just, it bothered me to see him in there at that point. But I figured I'd also use it to evaluate Saunders a little bit, even though to a certain extent it's difficult because... You are in there with a guy who's who's 
working on fumes of what he used to be. But Sanders is a good technical fighter, but he's not, I don't see anything special with Sanders. He doesn't really get me excited. I mean, to the extent that I like good technique, he gets me he makes me feel good. He he's a guy that crosses the T's, he dots his eyes. Um, to his credit and to his coach's credit, uh, as I said, they've done their job technically. He's he's fundamentally nice and solid. He's buttoned up. He boxes the right way, uh, but he doesn't have any special physical attributes that stand out. That that for me make him like at that next level. He's a just a nice, solid guy. And not that guys like that, look, he's a world champion. He's a super middleweight champion. Not that guys like that uh, don't have great careers, and they do. And he's having a tremendous career. But he's just never going to be one of those other guys with that attach a little extra talent to go along with the things that I've given him uh, credit for, to, to have that special talent. But... That doesn't mean he can't beat guys that have special talent just by being fundamentally solid. Uh, one of the matches that I think that he would match up well with, um, I mean, at that, especially in that super middleweight division, would be another guy who's very similar to him. Uh, and that would be uh, Khalid Plant. Caleb Plant. Yeah, Caleb. I, I see Caleb Plant being. Very similar to Murray, uh, not Murray, Sanders, in, in that way, where he's solid technically. Uh, they've done their job. He's always in shape, always ready, uh, seems to be, you know, ready physically and mentally from everything I can see, uh, but doesn't have that, just, again, doesn't have that next level physical ability. Um uh, of, of physical strength and power and uh, speed and, you know, all of those sizzle uh, type elements uh, that, that we, you know, that we see sometimes in, in, in the special guys. But I, I think that that matchup plant and Sanders would be for a lot of reasons, for the reasons I'm describing that they're so well matched. Um, where that would be an interesting fight. And and where that guy that won that fight could be the guy that's given a fight against, uh, you know, whoever, you know, whoever would make sense to make the big fight at that weight class, whether it's Benavides, which I guess would probably make sense, or, or somebody of that ilk. I love all three of those guys matching up. And I think that, um, I think Caleb Plant beats... Billy Joe Saunders handedly for me. I mean, you would know better, but I like Caleb Plant. I like his style. I love the idea of Benavidez and Caleb Plant fighting, or any three of those guys. Because I, they, they, yeah, I would like to see. I would like to see the. I would like to see the eliminators, so to speak, yeah. for me. Would would be to see. Uh, you can see all three of them, but I would like to see Plant, as I said, for the reasons I said against Sanders. Let the winner fight Benavidez. Benavidez is probably better in those physical areas I described, yeah. but not as good in the technical areas. And at the end of the day, that would that itself, because of those reasons, would make it a very interesting fight. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, listen, I want to be sensitive to your time. I know you're not feeling well. I really appreciate you doing this. I'm sure the fans do as well. It's Sunday morning. We're getting after it. Um, Thank you for getting up and watching all the fights and doing your best. Um, You'll always deliver the goods. So I hope everyone appreciates it. We thank all the fans for continuing to support and tune in. Um, it's a pleasure to do this for you guys. I love interacting with all the fans on social media. You guys are the best. We, we, we really love everyone. I mean, as I said earlier, we try not to have preferences in terms of who our favorite fighters are. We have guys that we like personally, but when it comes to looking at the fights, we try to just give the facts. Um, anyway, Teddy, thank you. Have a great Sunday. Good luck to the Raiders. And, uh... <laughs> just win baby and uh, we'll be back with you guys next week thanks for tuning in 